0: My name's Belinda, and I have three passages that I'd like to share with you this morning. The first one is from Acts, chapter 9, 1 to 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The second um, Bible reading is from Corinthians 12 verses 12 to 27. Just as one body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the many parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? while our presentable presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, each one of you, is a part of it. And there's just one more little reading from Ephesians. um, Chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.
1: Good morning, how are we? Good, uh, my name's Jonathan. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to catch up with you after the service. Uh, welcome to Windsor District Baptist Church. We are looking at the church as the body of Christ this morning. Uh, it's important time to define what the church is, uh, in part because as a culture, we're losing our sense of what it means to belong to anyone or anything but also because the relevance of the church constantly seems to be under attack. Uh, thank you to past, student pastor Tim McManus who uh, brought the message last week about the church as the bride of Christ. This morning we're going to look at the church as the body of Christ. This is where we're up to in our series and this morning we are going to be looking predominantly at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter one and a bit of chapter four. So I encourage you to have a Bible out, have your your smartphone if you you wanna do that, you're welcome to do that. Uh, We're going to be looking at the church as the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to come into this building together, to sit under your word, and to listen to what your spirit would have to say to us. Would you bless us this morning that we might grow into maturity in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Our big question today is, how are we joined to Christ? How are we joined to Christ? And this is a relevant question because, is Jesus someone who simply did something for us? You see, if we think of Jesus as simply someone who's done something for us, what separates him from anyone who might do a nice thing for you? But if our relationship to Christ is somehow deeper or more transformative to that, then there is a hope of real change and real power, real growth. The big idea this morning is that we are joined to Christ as members of his body. We are joined to Christ as members of his body. Jesus Christ is alive, and so too we are alive. We are not like this skeleton here, uh, which is simply an arrangement of parts. Sometimes we, we can think of the church as everyone having a different part, and we just sort of think of ourselves as this kind of static, uh, non, non-moving entity. But in reality, we have been joined to Christ, and he lives his resurrected life empowered through us. And so we're gonna ask the question this morning, in what way are we members of Christ's body? We're going to see this morning, first of all, that we are united organically to Jesus as the tangible embodiment of his person. The tangible embodiment of his person. By tangible, we mean one that can be felt and touched and experienced. We mean someone who exists in a physical space. If you come into the con- and come into contact with the church, you come into contact with Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul discovered on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, you know the story. Paul, he is traveling to take letters to arrest Christians and throw them into jail. He wasn't content doing it in Jerusalem. He was on his way to Samaria. And as he's on his way to Samaria, he gets knocked off his donkey or mule or whatever he was riding at the time. He's knocked off his his, uh, beast of burden, and he falls to the ground, and a bright light shines. He's blinded, and he hears a voice, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? When people see your physical presence, they associate that with you, you the person. You, the person with the thoughts, with the dreams, with the plans, with the visions, when you walk into the room, they don't say, oh, here is a a random assortment of matter and bone and flesh. No, they see you. When Paul is persecuting the church, Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And so here we find our relationship to Jesus is organic. Organic. Baptism marks our union with Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just as a body that one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we, Paul writes, were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, both Jews and Gentiles. Doesn't matter what background you come from, you receive the Holy Spirit, you're baptized in the Spirit, you're brought into this new body that is Christ, the body of Christ. And so, like a human body is dependent, we are dependent on Christ in every way. What happens to the church happens to Jesus. What happens to Jesus happens to the church. In your baptism, this is what you're saying, I am dying the death He died, so my hope is that I will rise to live as He lives now. The hope of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I am confident that we, the entire church, will have a glorified body because, because Christ has a glorified body. It's the continuity, the union of Jesus Christ with his church that forms the hope of the resurrection for us. And later on in Ephesians 2, Paul would say that God's purpose was that we would be formed into a new man. The church is the tangible embodiment of Christ's person. Our relationship to Jesus is organic. Secondly, in what way are we members of Christ's body? We're members of Christ's body as gracious recipients of his headship. Gracious recipients of his headship. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, Paul says four things that God does. Four things that God does by exerting his power. Many of them we're familiar with, not so much the last one. He's talking about the power of working on behalf of the believer. It's the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, when he seated him at the right hand, and when he placed him far above all other authority. It took power to do that. The power of God was at work to raise Jesus from the dead, to seat him at the right hand of the Father, and to put all authorities under his feet. And there's one more thing God did with that power. He gave Christ to the church as a head. Verse 20. Excuse me. 22. God placed all things under his feet, and your NIV says appointed, but it's literally gave. Gave him, that is Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. Christ's preeminence, Christ's supremacy, the the supreme authority of Jesus is for the sake of the church. It's for you and I. So we are gracious recipients of his headship. What do we mean by this? Politically, back in Paul's day, the head of something was the representative member, it, it was uh, they spoke for an entity or a gathering. If you were head of the Bricklayers Guild, you spoke for all the Bricklayers. If you were head of the, the, you know, the, the club, that's what you represent. Politically, headship carried that term. Jesus Christ is the head and he stands for all of us. Isn't that a comfort? He is your head. When God sees Jesus, he sees all of us. He represents us. Biologically, you and I, we all know, the head governs the function of an organism's body. Your head, your central nervous system, controls what you do. Even things you don't know that you're thinking to do, your brain is firing. How do we know this to be true? What happens when someone's head stops functioning? We're often told that it's a mercy to let them go because we recognize that without the head, without the head coordinating anything, without the head governing the function of the body, is it really just flesh? So Christ's headship is a powerful gift from God to us. We depend on Jesus for life and for direction. Back in those times to have a head over you was not a bad thing. You see, in our day and age, we resist authority. We don't, we don't like having anyone getting in our way. You know, I want to be the top of the cake. I, I, I know in Australia, you don't want to be the tall poppy. I get that, right? But really, secretly, privately, we don't like having somebody over us, do we? Or if we do have them over us, We let them know what a bad job they're doing. It's our prerogative, isn't it? As the underlings. But Christ as our head is a mercy to the church. And in the time and the day and age when Paul is writing, there is a great desire for protection to come under the authority of one and the representation of one who could elevate your status and your station. And that is exactly what has happened to us in Jesus. Thirdly, we have the growing expansion of his fullness. Now this is a little bit tricky. Follow with me again in Ephesians chapter one, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet. This is, a, this is a reference to Psalm 110, the Messiah that God had promised. He said that all things would be put under his feet. He is the true pinnacle, the apex of all creation, the high point, the one to whom everything else must fall into alignment with. That is Christ, and everything's been put under his feet. And in verse 23, excuse me, 22 and 23, And God gave him to the church to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's a picture of growth and development. Who remembers puberty? (laughs) Awkward time, isn't it? No one really, you know, my wife saw a picture of me in high school and she said, just be glad I didn't meet you in high school. (laughs) And she's right, you know, she's right. I like I like pictures of me in high school and I think, oh man, I did not look as good as I thought I did. <laughs> Puberty's a bit awkward, right? But it's awkward because you're growing and you're changing and you're developing and and, and, and you're becoming, you're maturing into what you are. You know what the church is a bit awkward right now. I'm not talking about this moment in time, I'm just talking about about right now, this this in-between time, before before the fullness of the kingdom arrives, before before finally everything is consummated and we are as we truly are spiritually. In this intervening time, it's it's a bit clunky, it's a bit awkward, we're a bit unco, as the kids like to say, right? We don't know how to function, we get a bit weird. But the picture is of a body that is growing and is developing. And from God's perspective, his plan has always been, has always been to, to bring the fullness of Christ into and over his creation. And guess what? That's what we are. We are the recipients of his fullness, and in our growing and in our maturing, and our being building up into the head, we are the unveiling, the expanding, the growing. Of the fullness of Christ. The knowledge and glory of the Lord will fill the earth as waters cover the seas. So we're in process of growing in maturity. Christ's preeminence extends through us. He is all, Paul would write in Colossians, and he is in all. This is what's happening. The church is the growing and the expanding of Christ. Everything fits around him, the cornerstone we saw, but but the the full picture is coming together, his supremacy, his preeminence. Fourthly, in what way are we members of of Christ's body? Fourthly, we are the coordinated expression of his power. We are the coordinated expression of his power. There we go. Am I on the right slide? There we go. The coordinated expression of his power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was writing to a church that had a pretty, they felt like they had their handle on everything. They were experiencing the gifts of the spirit mightily. They were were watching God do amazing things and they were getting a bit full of themselves. You know, if it was an Australian church, Paul would have said, pull your head in, right? (laughs) This, This is... This is what's going on in Corinth, and they're becoming divided because some people are doing some incredible things, and other people are doing other incredible things, and some people really like to listen to Peter, and some people really like to listen to Apollos, and Paul, who came in there in weakness, he's, you know, he's sort of falling out of fashion. And they're talking about how they're kings, and how they're, how, how they're ruling, and they don't really have a box for suffering, and so, you know... Paul coming along, his thorns in the flesh and his, you know, his policy that he's not going to accept money from them, but he's just going to minister in poverty. This this picture for them is, is something that's a little too shabby. Paul's response is to recognize that they are brought into a body together. They are brought into the body of Christ. Verse 15 Excuse me, 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. Paul's saying to them, he says, the church is the coordinated expression. It's one entity. There's unity, there's diversity, and there's interdependence. The metaphor almost writes itself. Paul says, because I'm not a hand, could somebody say, I don't belong to the body? (laughs) If the foot says that, does that mean... The foot's no longer a part of the body. The foot wakes up one day and says, I wanna be a hand, I wanna grab things. I'm tired of carrying all the weight. I'm tired of just being the thing that finally only gets a rest at the end of the day when the rest of the body is done. I'm tired of being the foot, I wanna be the hand. I wanna be the one that grabs things. I wanna be the one that pulls levers. I wanna be the one that, that, that picks up tools and creates and writes things. I'm tired of being a foot. If that's what the foot says, does it cease to be a foot? No. (laughs) You're still a foot. But Paul here is pointing to the insecurity that many of us have in our gift and our function in the church. We feel like we don't, we don't do what the other one does or I don't do it as well as the next person. Maybe, maybe I don't belong. And in Sydney, let me tell you, that kind of thinking is very natural. Because here in our culture, you're measured and you're judged by your performance. Your worth is defined by your function. And if you can't do it better than somebody else, well then maybe you're not as good as somebody else. And we'll reward you and we'll esteem you if you can perform and if you can do it. But the body of Christ is not like that. The body of Christ is different because you are a part whether you like it or not. If you belong to Christ, he has arranged you as a part of his body. He's given you a function. He's given you a purpose. And he, as the head, is coordinating all of these various parts together to do something beautiful, to express his power. Though our functions differ, we have equal concern. Paul goes on to say, he says, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. These people are tired of being in the ears. How come I never see what's going on? How come I only have to hear about it? Why am, all the one, my, why am I the one that I just have to pick up on things? I don't get to actually look and get the vision. Why don't I get the vision? Are you saying I don't have eyes? Why don't I get to be a mouth? <laughs> If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God placed all parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God is building his church. Christ is giving his gifts. If we try to look at one another based on our gift or our function and, 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 separate ourselves and say, well, I don't belong to you or I don't belong to this. It's not only futile, but it's going against the very purpose for which God brought you in to the fellowship. Though our functions differ, we have equal care and concern. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about how Jesus Christ, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, but he gave gifts to his church. And the gifts are in the form of apostles, prophets, I'm missing one, A pest. evangelists, there we go, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, All right. Pastors and teachers are not two different things actually in that text, it it's, it's, should be more like hyphenated, pastor-teachers. God gave, Christ gave these gifts, these people to the church to equip the body, to equip the saints for works of service, for the building up of the body. So I'm going to get really practical with you right now. If I am serving in the way God has called me to do, and I am your pastor, I should be equipping you, that is making sure that you have what you need to do your part, to play your part in the body of Christ. That is my function, that is it. That you would have what you need to serve Jesus Christ, trusting that in the process of you serving Jesus Christ, this whole body, the whole church will mature. One, two, three, four, A handful of people are not going to bring the body into maturity. The body will only mature as every part does its work. And those who are called to equip the church are not solely responsible for the building of the body. The body is built when every part does its work and everyone grows into maturity. And there's a few things that are tacked onto this we'll see at the end. But unity, love. But ultimately, it can't be divided. Now, I know some of you feel like toes, all right? Some of you feel like toes. You know, you think, what's what, what, what's my function here, you know? I'm just hanging out here with the other toes, you know? We wiggle a little bit, when we need to put the socks on, but that's about it, right? And, uh, and, you're like, w- what do I do, you know? Maybe you feel, maybe you got toes like me. I don't have pretty toes. Don't look at my feet. If you ever see me barefoot, please, you will embarrass me, right? Maybe you feel like that. You feel like, I- I'm not much to look at. I-, I don't have much to offer in this space. What I do isn't pretty. I'm not really an honorable part of the body, you know? Some of you got this really prominent, you know, jawline and you're just like, yeah. Or you get these high cheekbones and you're like, that's an honorable part. You know, some of you feel like toes. You're like, I don't look at it. Right? You're important, you're important. In fact, the promise is in the church, those parts that have less honor are treated with special honor. And we don't have time to unpack all that Paul's getting at here, but he says the parts that that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. You may have a gift that is so precious. So precious and so powerful, but maybe it's supposed to be used privately and not in a prominent position, but that doesn't mean it's not of value. It doesn't mean it's not of worth. We got to keep moving. Fifthly, in what ways are we members of Christ's body? We are the physical manifestation of his presence the physical manifestation of his presence. Follow me on this. Luke chapter one, sorry, that's wrong. I should say Acts chapter one, verses one and two. Acts chapter one, verses one and two. As, as Luke's writing his companion piece to the gospel, and he says in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, about, I wrote to you about all the things that Jesus began to do. You catch that? That he began to do in his time on earth. Now, if you're reading that, you think, oh, great. I'm really interested in seeing what else Jesus has to do. The problem is he doesn't even make it to the end of chapter one. He's out of there. He's ascended. Or is he still there? Is he still working through his apostles? Is he still working through his church? Is he still manifesting himself? We go on, Matthew 25 and the great judgment and the white throne judgment when he's separating the sheep from the goats. And he gives his reason for that judgment. Do you remember what he says? What he says when he gives that reason. He says, I came to you, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and you visited me. What did they say? When did we see you this way? He says, when you did it for the least of these my brethren. You did it for my association. You did it for my gathering of people who had a great idea. No, he says, you did it for me. And finally, 1 Corinthians chapter six, again, back to this church in Corinth, there's a problem, they're visiting prostitutes and Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians chapter six, he says, how can you go see a temple prostitute? He says, don't you realize when you engage with a prostitute, gentlemen, when you engage with a prostitute, you are taking the members of Christ and joining them with a prostitute. Now by members, he doesn't mean every other person in the church, he means your body. You are joining, when you physically join with a prostitute, you are joining your body. You're joining Christ to a prostitute. Why? Because the church is the physical manifestation of Christ's presence on earth. Does the metaphor break down? Yes, it does break down. (laughs) But it is so close, it is so powerful, it is so connected. Sixth. Are we at six, yep. We are the visible representation of his authority. The church is the visible representation of his authority. We all know the feeling when the principal of the school walked onto the playground or when the teacher got back into the classroom and you said, uh-oh, principal's here, uh-oh, teacher's here or maybe it was mom or dad got home, uh-oh, I gotta be on my best behavior. And they come home and you realize uh oh, the authorities here. Well, guess what? The church represents the authority of Jesus. How? How do we do that? Sorry, I'm really frustrated. These uh, my thing's not working. <laughs> Find it. Here we go. The church is the visible representation of Christ's authority because the church adv- advances Jesus' kingdom. Matthew 28, he says, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's an authority. The reason we call it the Great Commission is because it's a delegation of authority. That means the church, when we engage in gospel proclamation, when we engage in discipleship, when we lead people to the Lord, we are representing the authority of Jesus Christ here on earth. But it's more than that. In our personal holiness, in our yielding to the Spirit, we reflect the authority of Christ. Any time that you choose to walk in faith and obedience to Jesus, you are manifesting the authority of Jesus Christ on earth. When you break free from the chains of your flesh and your sin, you are manifesting the authority of Jesus Christ on earth. When you, through prayer and through yielding, engage in spiritual warfare, the binding and the loosing, you are bringing God's authority visibly on earth, Christ's authority. When we engage in church discipline, the reason we do church discipline is not because suddenly we wake up and realize, we don't like that person. That's not what church discipline is. Church discipline isn't, oh, I've suddenly decided this is gonna be my hobby horse and my pet issue, and I don't like the way you did that, so get out of the church. That's not church discipline. Church discipline is a process of integrity whereby we enforce the words and the teachings of Christ. We bring that to bear visibly within the fellowship of of the believers. You with me? We manifest Christ's authority through enduring persecution and suffering. I recently read the, or heard a synopsis of the account of the martyrdom of Jan Hus. Jan Hus was an early reformer. And the institution of the church was so riled up by his statements. They put him through a process of interrogation. They locked him up in prison. He knew he was gonna be found guilty, he knew he was gonna be put to death, but they didn't tell him when. And he just waited until one day they brought him out and they had him stood trial. They put a hat, they put a, this is back in the 1400s, they, they, they put a hat on his head that was made out of cardboard and, or paper at the time. And it had pictures of all sorts of demons and it was to represent that he belonged to demons. And after they mocked him at his trial, they let him out to burn him alive at the stake and they had him stand on the pyre and they bound him with chains bound him with ropes to the stake and they set it aflame and it was heard as the fire was being lit. He spoke about the fact that the chains that were binding him were not stronger than the, bond, the bonds of Christ's love to which he bound himself. You see, he didn't respond In anger, he endured suffering and persecution. When we do this, we show that we are not of this world. We show that we belong to Christ and we're not worthy of this world. And through our unity and joy and the hope in the Lord. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John are walking into the temple. They see a man who's begging for alms. He's been crippled from birth. Peter looks at him and he says, I don't got any silver or gold, but here's what I have. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Walk. I can't give you this earthly stuff, but I have the authority of Jesus Christ and I'm gonna call you to rise out of your affliction, out of your condition and walk. How is this possible? Because the church is the visible manifestation, representation of Jesus' authority. Finally, in what way are we members of Christ's body? We are members of Christ's body in that we are beloved objects of his affection. We are beloved objects of his affection. Tim talked to you last week about how Jesus sees his church as his bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, listen to what Paul writes. Verses 29 and 30, he says, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Anybody had a toothache recently? Oh yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I got I got a toothache a week or so ago. I don't know where it came from. It was gone the next day. But man, it shut me down. My whole I, I I'm in like I'm in the fetal position, you know. I'm like oh, you know, drugs kick in, kick in, kick in. When I'm hurting, when I am hurting. I don't say, oh, well, I guess this is the way it is. Better go about business as usual. I didn't continue to smile. I didn't continue to laugh or to joke. I didn't continue to enjoy time with my family, my kids. I couldn't sit down and concentrate to read or do work. No, what did I do? My head said, this is top priority. You better go to the cabinet where you keep the medicine and you better pull out nerfin and Panadol. We need a double dose here, right? No, I'm not a doctor, so don't take this as any sort of. So I'm not. I'm not issuing prescriptions. I'm telling you what I did, okay? Right? I I, I took out a Panadol. I took out I took out a Nurofen, and I said, uh, my head's saying you better take these. And I did. And I closed my eyes and I went in a dark room. Right? Jesus cares for the church like his own body. No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for it just as Christ does his church. If you stub your toe, what do you do? You reach down and you grab your toe. If you're hungry, you eat. If you're thirsty, you drink. If you're tired, you sleep. You try to anyway. See, Jesus cares for his church as his own body He gave gifts to build up the body. He gave his word to feed and nurture and care for the body. We used to be objects of wrath, Paul writes in Ephesians, but now we are united through a new covenant. We're made alive through the Holy Spirit, and now we submit to God and we trust in his love. I listen to what my head tells me to do. Again, if the church, we don't listen to Christ, not only are we fighting our nature as believers, but we are also rejecting the one who loves us. We're we're exhibiting profound unbelief. Profound unbelief when we don't yield to Christ. And so the Bible exhorts us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Christ lives in us. He lives in us, WDBC. He lives in us here. Here at WDBC, our vision is to see all people transformed by God's word and spirit for faith in Jesus Christ because we believe that is the fundamental, most life-altering thing. Every answer to the human predicament is resolved in Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be transformed? It means that you and I need to start living as the embodiment of Jesus' person. The embodiment of Jesus' person. The gospel says we've been united with Christ as members of his body. So how will that transform us as we gather? What's going to look different? What's going to look different if we begin to embody Jesus' person to one another and in this place? First of all, we're going to ground our identity and belonging and not performance. We're going to stop treating each other on the basis of what they provide you or what they don't provide you. Can I tell you, nothing will kill our community faster than treating one another with a performance mindset. If you walk through these doors or walk into your Bible study or get online and message your Christian brother or sister and you bring the same framework that the world has handed you of who to keep in your life and who not to keep in your life on the basis of their performance and their ability to make you happy, you will kill the community at WDBC. I shared with the young adult chat group Sydney ranked the third worst city in the world for making friends. (laughs) Can we finally stop looking to the culture around us of how to relate to people? Can we put that to bed? I'm asking you seriously. Let's ground our identity and belonging in the body of Christ, not in what we provide or don't provide for one another, but that we belong to one another. Secondly, transformation is gonna look like us looking to Jesus for our purpose and for his provision. We often do one or the other. We look to Jesus for our purpose. I'm on board with that here, I'm, I'm a pastor. But I gotta tell you, I struggle. I struggle because I think I need to do it. I need to do it in my strength. I need to provide all the wherewithal to do, pursue this purpose that he's given me. Some of you trust Jesus for his provision. And he's providing for you greatly, but you're not really living for his purpose, you're living for your purpose. It's not one or the other, it's both. Thirdly, to embody Jesus' persons means like Jesus in the garden, we will yield to the will of God by obeying him. There will come a point where obeying Christ will not make sense to you. You're gonna have to trust him. You have to lean on his word. I'm not saying it's going to be blind idiocy. I am saying you will have promise and truth to walk in. Fourthly, we will maintain unity through honesty and peace. Part of belonging to one another means we can tell the truth to each other, but to do it in a way that's loving and kind. That's a rant on a message board, not to not to stab people in the back, not to gossip and tell the truth through somebody else so that it gets back to them, but to go one-to-one and to say, you know what, I need to share this with you. I need to be honest with you. And we will pursue peace. And finally, we will take our part and we will let others take theirs. This is what it means to be transformed. Let's pray. Father, would you... Enable us and empower us to walk as members of your body. May we reflect the glory of Jesus. May we be strong and steadfast, rejoicing in him, supporting one another even as you build us up. In your name we pray, amen.